listening to the Jersey Guys Podcast, the show that talks about hard rock, heavy metal, AOR, and West Coast music. In-depth conversation and special guests are always on tap, so settle in and turn it up. Now, here are your hosts, Tom and Mark. Hey everybody, Mark from the Jersey Guys Podcast. I'm here with my co-host Tom Coyne, as always, and we're back with a brand new episode today. Uh, This one we're going to be talking with Frank White and Alan Tecchio, uh, co-authors of a brand new book called Jersey Metal. It's a uh, history of the Garden State's heavy metal scene from 1969 to 1986. Uh, This is volume one. It's going to be part of a three-part series that's going to come out over the next few years. But this volume covers the, uh, the early days of the Jersey metal scene. And uh, we talked to Alan and Frank about, you know, the stories, the, the venues, the bands, uh, just everything about the Jersey metal scene in its, in its beginnings. And uh, we get a background on Frank's history as a professional photographer. Uh, Alan, of course, was a, a singer in a band, Hades, uh, had a few albums out, and he's been in a ton of other bands over the years. Uh, we talk about that a little bit. But this was a good episode. We had a lot of fun with these guys and uh, got some great stories from both of them. And, uh, yeah, so we hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, Jersey Metal, you can order it at uh, www.jerseymetalbook.com. It's the best place to get it. You know, the guys will autograph it for you if you want. And uh, you're, you know, supporting them directly. So it's the best way to get the book. But, uh You got to check this book out. Even if you're not from the Jersey metal scene itself, you're going to find plenty to love about it. There's so many stories, so many pictures, and uh, yeah, it was, it's a good one. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. So let's get right to it. Uh, Frank White, Alan Tecchio of the Jersey metal book. Hey everybody. uh, Thanks for joining us for a brand new episode. We're here tonight with uh, Frank White and Alan Tecchio, uh, co-authors of Jersey metal. A History of the Garden State's Heavy Metal Scene, uh, Volume 1, from covering from the years 1969 to 1986. Uh, guys, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, definitely. Congratulations on the book. Uh, you know, just came out officially uh, yesterday? Yes. Great. And that's available in uh, with on Amazon and, and everywhere else, right? Your, be- your best bet is jerseymetalbook.com. Amazon pays us like three dollars per book, <laughs> and the book is the book is seventy five dollars because it costs us like fifty to print. Well, I'm glad to hear that because my my son just ordered it for me for uh, for Christmas, and he ordered it oh, directly. Good. He ordered it directly from you guys. So thank great, you, thank you, thank you. There you go. So I got the book uh, a few weeks back. Um, I know it came out a little bit earlier around uh, Jersey here. Yeah, we wanted to give the uh, New Jersey fans uh, their. Uh, the first taste of the book before it got out to the general public. Okay. Yeah. Now I was lucky enough to get it. I've been reading through it. I'm about halfway through so far and, and it's an awesome book. I mean, it's 340 pages or thereabouts. Um, great stories, thousands of pictures. Um, so how did you guys get the idea to do this book? Well, I, uh, came up with the idea in 2019, I thought that maybe I could use a partner in writing the book 
it just so happened I was uh, having my book on Ronnie James Dio reviewed, and uh, I was picking up a copy of Stepping Out, a uh, local uh, rock. It was Metropolis Nights, not Stepping Out. Well, no, no. What happened was I happened to be picking up, <laughs> I happened to be picking up a copy of. Uh, stepping out because the review was in there and it was over at a place called Dingo's in Clifton and the owner came into the place and he invited me over across the street to his club called Dingbats and the guy's name is Freddie Dingo who the owner and uh, he happened to show me a, a magazine that was in the corner of the club called Metropolis Nights and he said to me that Alan Tecchio uh, was a writer for the magazine and I said, oh, great. I know Alan for, you know, a long time. He goes, oh, okay, I'll put you in touch with him. So he put me in touch with Alan. And then I asked Alan to review my, my book, which he did. And um, I saw that he made some corrections, you know, in the, in the writing because it was done over in England. And so I it was out of my control. And uh, so within a few uh, meetings after that with Alan, I asked him one day if he would like to be my uh, co-author for uh, the Jersey Metal book, and he agreed. And uh, we started it in like the early part of uh, 2020, right around when COVID hit. And we uh, went through two and a half years of putting the book together. So we finally finished it, and uh, it's out for everybody to enjoy. Nice, nice. I mean, everybody knows. Uh, I'm sure, maybe who, maybe people don't know, but um, Frank, you you are a professional concert rock photographer and have been for for many years. Um, right. I also am. I also do you know like studio photography mm -hmm. with bands, and uh, I do like uh, parties and events, and uh, you know I work with uh, record companies and uh, other companies that do uh, products with uh, my photography okay so yeah okay and and alan uh everybody uh maybe would know uh, you as a singer uh from a, a bunch of heavy metal bands over the years around these parts uh hades being one of them um watchtower was another one uh geez there's been so many of them uh, <laughs> like tell, tell us about your your background and, and where you know where you grew up and where you came from well i just like to scream that's basically it <laughs> <laughs> I actually saw a nonfiction. Uh, that's another band you were in. I saw you guys at Studio One. Awesome! Oh wow! It's Studio One days, yeah, back in the day. So, where? How did you? Uh, how did you get involved in in uh, in, in singing and in your background? You grew up in Northern New Jersey. I did, yeah, in Closter, which is a town up in Bergen County. And I met Frank when I was in a band called Prophecy, and he did his first photo shoot of like a like a he opposed the band mm -hmm. uh, with Prophecy. And I'd known Frank White was, you know, this big photographer already back then. That was like probably 80, I don't know, five or six. And that's initially where we met. Um, I was very insecure about singing at the time. I mean, the whole story's in the book, really. But I started singing that right out of high school and did my first album of Hades at the age of 19, Resisting Success. And, uh, you know, that led to a lot of other opportunities down the road. Including, like you said, Watchtower and nonfiction came later, and a bunch of other stuff. I mean, Mike LaPond, he wanted to hang out tonight, actually, Mike LaPond, and I, I can't do it because I'm on my way to Philly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's been a long road and many years, and it's gone by in the blink of an eye. Nice, nice. Well, uh, Frank, you also are a, uh, a Bergen County guy, right? 
Yes, I am. Yeah. Um, I, I myself, I'm, I'm a Carney guy, born and raised, been there my whole oh, life. Okay. Yeah. Um, so not too far, kind of right at the southern end of Bergen County. In the book, you talk about, you know, your early days prior to becoming the, the pro photographer that you are now. But I, I found it really interesting because tell me about those those very early days and the, the beginnings. Of, I think it's one of the earlier stories in the book where you talk about you kind of your mom was a photographer and right. you kind of got this idea that you wanted to go see a rock show and you borrowed her camera and you started doing shows. And tell us about those early days. My uh, mom was a photographer in the 40s and 50s and she worked as a studio photographer in New York City. A department store similar to like uh sears you know when they used to have uh like studios inside uh, oh, yeah. the store and she'd photograph families and you know wedding pictures and babies and so forth and uh after that you know she met my uh, my father and then um after they had me when i was around six years old my mother had you know cameras in the house and uh she would start to show me uh, photos on the wall through a slide projector. And I noticed how big these photos were. And I'm like, wow, so impressed by how big they were and, you know, how nice they were. And uh, so I asked her if I could, uh, you know, look at her cameras. And she showed them to me and um, started to teach me how to use them in the next few years. And at the same time, I was learning how to sell things as a child uh, for myself, like uh, flower and vegetable seeds from the back of a comic book uh, that, you know, if you're a collector of comic books, uh, late 60s, early 70s, they would uh, have these ads uh, to, to make money. And so as a child, that was the first thing I learned how to sell. And at the same time, this was the late 60s, so I was getting into the music scene of the Woodstock era uh and I was also um you know uh interested in uh learning how to uh you know just uh I guess do all these things at once and um then uh after you know while I was growing up on television I would be watching Ed Sullivan Don Kirsch's rock concert in concert uh and other programs that had live uh you know bands playing in front of uh, an audience and a lot of them were you know kids and maybe a little older than me and i kind of felt like i wanted to be part of that and you know go to concerts too and at the time my mom didn't like to drive because she was scared of all the traffic and everything so she would go into the into new york city to uh, see her parents and she would bring me along and I would learn how to take the bus and, and subway once I was in New York city. So I learned how to get around and I wasn't uh, afraid as much as if it would be my first time. So uh, around the end of 74, early 75, I heard about Led Zeppelin coming to Madison square garden, in New York city. And I kind of made up a plan to take my mom's camera without her knowing and lying to my parents and telling them I was in the neighborhood at a friend's house on a school night and that I would be home, you know, around 11, 30, 12 o'clock. And they trusted me. And so I, uh, after school, I 
got my camera, well, my mom's camera out of her closet and told them, you know, I'll see you later on tonight. And uh, they were cool with that. And I, I went down the street, caught the bus into New York City and then went down to Madison Square Garden. And I had money, you know, enough money to buy film and, and a ticket and some food. And I ended up uh, getting into the show and getting down into the front part of the orchestra and uh, taking someone's seat for the time being. And when Led Zeppelin came on, it was just uh, an amazing uh, scenario for me to be that close to one of the biggest bands in the world at the time. And I was just like kind of blown away and I was trying to concentrate on taking pictures. But after a half dozen years of photographing um, in my neighborhood, my family and so forth, I was just, uh, you know, I was able to focus really well on Robert Plant, Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones. And uh, John Bonham was, was a little further back and, kind of obscure at my angle so I didn't, didn't really get any photos of him but I was more in front of uh, Jimmy Page and so in the book you'll see the as you see the photos of them performing and uh, but when I got home I was able to get home time before my parents kind of figured out anything <laughs> and uh, I got the film developed the following day and uh, when I looked at the slides because that's what my mom taught me to use. I was just blown away by what I uh, what I had in front of me, and uh, I wanted to keep doing that. So I had to repeat what I just did with my parents uh, for a number of years, <laughs> <laughs> and it just uh, I just never told anybody. It was sort of like my own little secret. I wanted to, uh, you know be able to kind of venture out and get whatever I could because there were so many cool bands back then to photograph. And, you know, I did Robin Trower, Alice Cooper. I went to Chicago with the Beach Boys that year. Um, Aerosmith and uh, Black Sabbath, Rainbow. So I was able to get a good amount of photographs from most of those bands. And that kind of got me into uh, keep going with the idea of wanting to uh, get more photographs of bands and just kind of keep living that way of entertaining myself. And of course, I was doing this by myself without anybody else knowing about it. My friends didn't know about it. My sisters didn't know and any, anybody else. And I, it, just, uh, it just snowballed from there. And I just kept my photos hidden in my room. You know, and I kept my room pretty neat. So that way my parents wouldn't have to pick up my stuff and put it away and then find the photos in boxes in the corner of one of my uh, drawers. So I uh, just kept that going until one day I decided to ask my father to buy me a camera. And uh, one day he came home with uh, a camera. It was a Yashica camera. And I thought he might have was going to get me maybe a Canon like my mom had. And, but it was uh, a camera that was similar to it, uh, but it was 35 millimeter. And I was able to uh, learn how to use that camera. And then I just started out 
photographing more with, with them knowing now that I was going to uh, concerts and all. So uh, my father took me to one of the concerts with a friend of mine at the time that I kind of hey, said, hey, you want to go to this show together? We went to see Kiss. And it was at the end of uh, 1977. And uh, after that, I, I met a guy at work. His name was Carlos. He had a van. He asked me if I wanted to go to some shows with him. And we started going to concerts beyond New York City. We went to, uh, you know, like uh, Philadelphia. We went to uh, South Jersey, you know, for shows, uh, you know, further out than I was going because, at the time, I was only going into New York City, which was like about a half hour from, from where I lived in uh, Bergen County, which was in the town of Bergenfield. So, Frank, I wanted to uh, mix and match a couple of shows that I, I grew up in Brooklyn and I started going to the Garden in the early 70s to see all the major bands. Aerosmith opening for Black Sabbath. Were you there for that? Yeah. Um, it's just that. I didn't really get any really good photos at that show. That was on uh, on Ozzy's birthday. Yes, that was the Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Tour. Yeah, and I remember uh, Tony Iommi getting hit in the head yes. like a beer can. Yep, they stopped the and, show, and the, all the yep. pictures were in Circus Magazine in the following month. Right, and there was a birthday cake yes. thing that came out. Yeah, so uh, it was, I couldn't, I mean, I, uh, all those bands were bands that I, were, was growing up on because I had uh, friends who had older brothers and sisters, and they allowed us to listen to their records back then. So, well, that would be me. I'm 64. So, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm 60, and I just happened to, uh, you know, grow up really early with learning how to photograph, listening to music, selling things, and then all that stuff, you know, uh, became bigger as I, I got older. Ted Nugent opened for Black Sabbath. Were you there? Uh, no. Um, no, not for that show. That was the Sabotage tour. Right, right. Yeah, I don't I don't remember Ted Nugent opening up for Sabbath. I do remember Aerosmith opening up for Sabbath. And though. Van Halen opening up for Sabbath on a Saturday, Sunday night, 1978. Right, at Madison Square Garden. Yes. That was another one of those shows that I was too far back. I mean, there were times where I would have tickets uh, that I had close seats for most of most of the shows I went to. And then there were other shows that I sat further back. Um, And so, you know, I I just watched like Van Halen blow uh, Black Sabbath away that night. Yes. Yes. And a plume of smoke. It was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Yeah. I remember also people like holding up crosses down by the front of the stage and uh i i saw a photo later on years later of like a silhouette of people and there was these crosses like i'm like oh my god i remember that image in my head you know it's that image still right but the thing was i i felt that black uh black sabbath wasn't as good as van halen was no that was just two bands going in two totally different directions were you at the jethro tull show that was broadcast uh across in in 78 in 78 yes yes so was i Uh, i have photos i have photos from that oh you do interesting yeah Yeah. i also have um i also have uh, my t-shirt my uh bootleg uh, t-shirt from that tour too wow yeah I kept all my shirts from back in the day, and now they're worth a lot of money. 
<laughs> and I wanted to ask you if you did any photography on my personal favorite artist, Johnny Winter. Yes, I did. I photographed him uh, several times over the years. In fact, I hung out with him later on. Oh, boy, uh, I'm jealous. Like, um, this was sort of like the last few years of his life. He was up in New York State at a place called Rock Fantasy, which is a rock store and uh, head shop in Middletown, New York. And uh, I know the owner, and he hired me to photograph uh his friends and fans of the of the band and they would came to uh the store but johnny was in his uh i guess uh trailer whatever you want to call it and uh i would be on i would be on it and the fans would come on to it one at a time and i would photograph each fan with uh johnny winter and his crew whoever wanted to get into the photographs so i thought that was pretty cool and then afterwards they uh, they performed at uh, Brian's Backyard Barbecue, which was uh, a, a club not too far away. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was a fun time. Yeah. So one of the great things about the, the Jersey Metal book is that it's, it doesn't really, it's not just about, you know, your, your photographs, Frank. It's not just about, you know, Alan's stories and stuff. But you guys covered the whole, when you talk about, you know, a history of the Garden State's metal scene. I mean, you talk about the clubs. You talk about the, the record right. stores. You know, you talk about all that stuff. So, Alan, let me, let me ask you a question. Um, talk about the influence of the record stores up in this New Jersey, New York area. Um, I know you talk about it in, in the book where you say, you know, in those early days, you would go to record stores and buy stuff based on the album cover yeah and i think i'm not alone in that i mean a lot of people did that you know, back then because that's just kind of how it was but we would go out to uh flipside records and coaster was like my local shop um certainly things from england flipside parks pyramid and bergenfield was massive um, these were the go-to shops to like go and find out what was new and happening and you kind of found it out that way before the internet you know and wasn't it so much fun doing it that way? I, I really miss all the hunting and pecking away at record stores. It was very, yeah, very, very organic. Yeah, sure. yeah. It made it so much. The, the, the hunt was always as, as interesting as the chase. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and back then uh, I was, uh, you know, getting into different types of music besides uh, heavy metal. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed, you know, shopping and looking at the posters and, you know, buying incense and, uh, you know, just, uh, just making my room look all, uh, rock and rollish looking. And, uh, it went just along with all the photographs I was taking back then. I mean, me personally, going back to that, that little bit of the, the record store thing, you know, me, me being a carny guy, um, my, my local store of choice when I was a younger, it was uh, Mickey's Music over in Belleville. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. We have that uh, ad in, our, uh, in the uh, book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I used to go there every, every Tuesday. I'd be there to see the new releases, pick up the, uh, the East Coast Rocker, Aquarian, whatever it was at the time. Yeah, I would, I would look at that also as well. And uh, find out what was going on. So I was able to uh, go to uh, many shows. Also, my uh, my father, he used to buy the New York Times. And on Sundays, they had the art and leisure section. 
and I would, uh, you know, he would give that to me because he knew I was into uh, concerts, photography, art, and uh, I would just see a slew of different uh, groups that I wanted to photograph and and go into, uh, and most of them were in New York City, whether they be at the Garden, the Academy of Music, which then later on turned out to be the uh, Palladium, and then like Nassau Coliseum was another one, and this was all before uh, the Meadowlands Arena was built, and you know that came in in 1981. So you know at the time I didn't have a car until I was you know probably like I'd say like 80, 81. And uh, that's when I started to travel to like other places on my own. I was able to, you know, go see festivals and so forth like that, you know, without, you know, uh, sometimes without my uh, friend Carlos, who was working with me at the time. So, uh, you know, it was it was it was a lot of a lot of uh, cool adventures. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Oh yeah. Well, well, another thing in in the book that I found really interesting too is that in our area up here, and and Alan, I'll, I'll direct this to you that what you get your feelings on it. But uh, great radio station, college radio station, uh, legendary uh, WSOU, which was uh, Seton Hall Radio, um, was on the air for for decades. But talk about the influence of of WSOU on the Jersey metal scene. Well, it was massive. I mean. Um... As you're growing up in a heavy metal band, you know, you're trying to get on every radio station you can. Your college radio is very receptive to that. But most college radio doesn't broadcast past the campus. And so you, on the other hand, broadcast in the tri-state area and were massive. That's why they got into all that trouble a number of years back where they were taking payola from record labels to play their bands. And I think there were some massive fines and maybe jail time involved because it was bad, but that was the size of their influence. It was huge. And if I could just backtrack a little bit, Mickey Music, when I lived in Clifton, I used to go to the Passaic Park location all the time. That was oh, like yeah. our stop when I lived in Clifton, which was great. And I'm really glad, really glad you brought up the Aquarium because I have to give them double thanks. The Aquarium led us into their archives to get all the ads that you see in the book. And... They kind of gave us unfettered, you know, access to all of that for multiple days and many, many hours. And Frank and I, especially Frank, sat there and shot all of those ads to put into the book so we could timeline it correctly. But unfortunately, after the book came out, uh, they saw all the hype that's going on and the people buying all the shirts and all the books. And, you know, it's, it came out yesterday, but it's on fire for a month or so already. And it's kind of unexpected, to be honest. I'm very psyched about it. But I guess they weren't. So they've denied us the ability to reprint the book in this current format. So what you have right now will never be able to be purchased again once we sell out the first, you know, however many we printed, it's probably a thousand books. And it's important for us legally to say that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Because I don't want them coming after us. We're agreeing to their request and not have it in there. And as a result, I'm resetting the entire book for the second printing. And that'll be the future permanent book. And it's actually, I'm going to say it's cooler. When I look back on this book, I think I made the point size a little bit too big in the type. So I lowered that. And the photos sometimes don't get the recognition that they're due. So the photo's going to be bigger. And the ads, some of them are a little bit too small. So they're going to be gone, along with every ounce of acknowledgement of the aquarium. Because, you know, I feel bad that they feel 
like we kind of got over on them or something. I don't know how they feel, but it's a win-win. So it's a great thing they allowed us access. It's a great thing they denied the access. Mm. And onward we go, because there's two more books coming after this, which is 87 to 04 and, and 05 to 2021 or whatever. And, and there still uh, are other ads in there, as well as like ticket stubs and uh, you know other, other things. That well, the, book, the book can't fit. It's going to be even better. There won't be any aquarium attachments yeah. or anything. I wanted to ask you guys a, a little bit about the uh, the Capitol Theater and what it meant to you. I, again, growing up in Brooklyn, that's where I used to see shows outside of Madison Square Garden dating back to the, the late 70s. I'll tell you a couple of bands that I, I was big on then. I saw The Outlaws, Molly Hatchet, Robin Trower, of course, Hot Tuna multiple times. Uh, were either you guys in attendance at those shows or... I was at the, I believe I was at the Outlaw Molly Hatchet show, but I was also there for other shows too, like Rush and um, Quiet Riot, Mama's Boys, Armored Saint, Wasp, Slayer, you know, um, Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I remember seeing Scott LePage at, uh, I believe that show, um, who was in Alan's, uh, one of Alan's earlier bands, uh, Hades. Um, he was also in Prophecy. And Prophecy, right. And uh, so I I had him like in the corner of the photo uh, with his girlfriend at the time. So, but unfortunately it's not on, it's not really usable because the uh, there was this band that opened the show and uh, we're not using that type of music in the book it's more on the heavier side and uh, so it, i have i have uh, scott in uh the book with his with the uh, bands that alan was in and did you see robin trower there or ph- photographing no i didn't i saw uh, robin trower at the academy of music oh, okay. in new york city in 1975 oh which wow is in the yeah. book. Mm-hmm. and uh and then later on i saw him a number of times like the uh, Atlantic City and Wellmont and uh, Montclair. Talk talk about this because I I'm I'm 52 years old, um, and like you know I know you guys are just a few years older than than I am. So I guess a lot of the the volume one book I'm I'm reading a lot of stuff that was kind of a little bit before my time. But one of the things I found really interesting in the book, and I guess you know, whoever wants to take the question and and go with it, in the 70s as the scene was kind of just starting out, you had the, the the bands that were playing around here that were, it was predominantly a cover scene, right? Yes. Yes. They were, they were just uh, copying, you know, the bigger bands from back, uh, back in the day that they all loved and appreciated. And um, so, yeah, everything was, it was mostly cover acts. And I was, covering the 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 original acts so for me i didn't get anything in the early to mid late 70s um because you know i was doing uh the shows in new york city at the garden at the academy of music the palladium and coliseum and wherever i could uh photograph and uh and then slowly uh, it was also tribute bands too, 
and then and then out of those some of those bands you know some original acts started and then they moved on to uh higher places in the field of uh music business well i found what i found really interesting was that you you mentioned and you have a lot of bands that you're talking about in in the book um bands like white tiger uh jesse bolt and i know even for me personally like a band like zebra that was a band i got into years later um these were bands that kind of came to the jersey scene from other parts of the country right because it was such a, a great vibrant scene here right that's why they found out about you know how big it was up here for bands to play and you could play multiple uh shows uh in a week uh sometimes you know they would have uh you know weekends where bands would play friday saturday even sunday sometimes and they would play a couple shows at night uh in in the early days they would play three four or five shows in a night and uh, jj french was telling me when they first started out they were playing five shows in a night and then it slowly went down to four three two and so forth um but other bands you know they played a couple shows a night and uh sometimes they would play a few miles apart uh at another club you know depending on uh the situation yeah yeah so they were making an awful lot of money and uh I'm, i'm sure some of them had uh regular jobs but some of the bands uh you know, just uh, performed for, for like the local scene. And uh, most of these bands never made it inside uh, some of the bigger uh, places. I know like uh, bands like Monroe and White Tiger, they performed uh, in New Jersey at like the John Harms Theater was one of the gigs, you know, where, they went from playing, you know, these really small clubs to uh, an actual performance theater. And um, so that happened, you know, over time, you know, with other with a few other bands, you know, depending on how big they got. And Zebra is still performing to this day. They performed just recently. They they performed a, a week ago in, uh, in Starway and Ballroom, actually. That's right. And I saw them back in the late 70s in Long Island when they were doing predominantly a Led Zeppelin set with some originals thrown in, probably right. f- a good four years before they were even signed to their debut. Yep, and, uh, you know, Dan was uh, an awesome sound, and I, I went to see them multiple times. Do you remember a band called Phantom's Opera? Of course, yep, and they're in the book. In the book, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't yep. have the book yet. My son ordered it for for Christmas, so I have to wait another two weeks. <laughs> oh, well, it'll be one hell of a Christmas gift. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You <laughs> Thank your son for us. I, I will. <laughs> Take your time with it. Take your time. I, no, I, 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 I definitely will. Oh, it's, I mean, yeah, like I said, I'm about like halfway through so far and I'm, I'm just like, you know, you, you say you got to take your time with it because there's so much to read, so much to look at. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's a lot to, you know, drink in and, uh, we made it. So it was very entertaining. Uh, a lot of people are telling us that they, you know, have a hard time putting it down. They, oh, and then they're always finding something new inside the the photographs and, and the information with the ads and everything. So uh, it's a very entertaining book. Oh, I, d- yeah. I did want to ask you about a, uh, a a certain singer who happens to be my all-time favorite singer by the name of Ray Gillen. And you guys, I think, uh, were around him like before anybody knew who the hell Ray Gillen was. If, but both of you could expound on that. 
Yeah, I um, I saw him at the uh, the circus and uh, the hole and uh, soap factory and Harlot, and um, they uh, they were around for a short period of time because back then uh, uh, Ray was in a few other bands, Messiah, F sixty six. He was in um, uh, what was that band? He was uh, in another was, band. I was trying to think of it the other day when me and Mark were t- were talking about it. And so uh, uh, I only saw him, like I said, a couple times back then. Uh, and then the next time I saw him, he was uh, performing with Black Sabbath. And I photographed him then. And he also invited me over to his apartment in New York City. I photographed him and his girlfriend and uh, got a photo with his, uh, got him outside in front of his place and in Central Park. Really, really nice guy, you know, and and then, you know, he, he goes into uh, his next band, Badlands, and I photographed him in that band, too. Yeah, we had Jeff Martin on the podcast just recently, and he was talking extensively about um, about Ray and, and what a nice guy he was. But I wanted to ask you, when you saw him early on, did you have any inkling that he would have become as big as he was? Yeah, I thought with his uh, performance voice and all, I I had a feeling that he would uh, move up in the uh, in the rock world, definitely, because he was around a lot too, and he was very personable uh he'd like to get his photo taken uh he was great on stage and uh he was uh, he, he connected very well with the audience and i think he just outgrew the club scene right and you know how to go to the next step up which uh seemed to work out well for him oh definitely Talk talk about Alan. Maybe you want to join in here on this one. Uh talk about some of the clubs um that may have been like your personal favorites back in the day. Well, I mean, uh the China Club in Hillsdale for sure was a great spot. That was uh you know, all ages on Sundays and really, really great turnout on Sunday night, like all the time. It was really heavy and awesome. Uh we have a big feature in the book on sabotage that one of the games they played there, which is really cool. It's like one of my favorite parts of the book. But um, Studio One, for sure, in North Newark, where everybody's car got broken into. (laughs) It was a sketchy neighborhood. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of places, man. I mean, it's like even the smaller places, like uh, Connections and Clifton, you know, we would, when we had no money in nonfiction, which is probably in the second book, uh, we would go there to rehearse on their open mic night because we couldn't pay for a studio to rehearse, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. There, there were a lot of places, man. It was great. And, of course, all the New York places, the Limelight, Lamore, you know, a lot of really, really good uh, opportunities there to play in front of people, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm I'm a guy that I was being in Carney. I was, uh, my, my home club was Studio One. And, and like you said, I always, I always uh, you know, was worried about <laughs> driving my car over there. Yeah. What about uh, Escapades? Escapades Pretty close in Jersey, to Jersey City. City. Yeah. Jersey City. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's another one. Yep. Did you remember uh, the guy Randy Rocks? Sure. Yeah. Who? Yeah, he was. He's in our book. Yeah. He. Uh, he was. A, he became a friend of mine uh, back in the, uh, I'd say, late seventies, early eighties, and uh, I remember him talking about the band Sin, and he showed me the album, you know, with this or the EP with the snake on it, and I was like, wow, this is a really cool band, you know, cool that was, name. That and was all. Rick Fox's band, wasn't it? Right. 
Yeah. Yep. They were supposed to be a big deal. That that was that got hyped like incredibly and it never went anywhere. Yeah, it's sort of like when you know the hype went really you know it went really big and then all of a sudden it just dropped. Yep. And then he ended up uh going into the band uh um E Walker. Right. Right after uh, Sin, which was like a very uh popular club band. And then uh, a couple of years later, he was into uh, the band Aggressor, which Alan became the lead singer of after he left. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Because he was originally in Steel, or I think. That was his... That was when he moved to uh, L.A. Yeah, that was his claim to fame, being on that album with Malmsteen. Right. And that was, uh, I believe, uh, after he was in Wasp for a very yes. brief yes, time. Yes, exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, so, uh, you know, he, he moved along into other L.A. bands. And, uh, you know, now he's, uh, I guess, uh, he's going to be performing next year, actually, in this Keel Fest. Oh, really? With, yeah, Ron Keel. Uh, he sa- actually sent me a, a post about it. Oh, interesting. So he still, pre- so he still performs. Did not know that. Yeah, but he's now living in the Midwest. So he doesn't live in L.A. anymore. I, a little personal side note of, of, of mine, um, we talked about some of the great clubs from, from Jersey. Um, I remember when I was a little kid, um, I was probably had to be about 11 or 12 years old. And uh, right. I, I remember going uh, Saturday nights was uh, my parents, we'd, we'd go out to, to eat, you know, somewhere and, and we'd venture into like Lower Bergen County and go up Route 17. And, and I remember right. the hole in the wall. And I, I always thought the coolest thing about that was they had that mural on the on the wall with like kind of like painted where there was an actual hole in the wall and the and the people walking in <laughs> right and i just right. always mesmerized yeah. by that as like a little 11 year old sure yeah there's always certain places in your head that you remember vividly from from back when you were a kid i um i started to go to these clubs you know like very late 70s early 80s and um i uh, one of the clubs uh that stuck out to me was like uh, the soap factory and uh, also uh, uh, the circus in Bergenfield. That was always a really cool club for me. Um, I liked going to uh, mothers and uh, the fountain casino, you know, they were like uh, big places that you can take pictures at and uh, same thing with the uh, smaller places. Um, so it was, uh, it was a really cool time back then, yeah. especially if you were in a band uh, and you had a really good music, even, even if you were a cover band, tribute band, or an original band, um, a lot of people would come out and see you. You know, they would always support the, the scene and, uh, and, the, and the music. So, um, you know, I'm glad that I was a part of all that and been able to uh, do a book about it. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is you, you're similar in age to me. You're 60, I'm 64. We, we kind of were able to overlap. I mean, I'm, I'm four years older than you. So I was able to overlap both of those scenes. You know, like I came in early 70s and rode the wave of the whole, the whole 70s and then rode the wave through my 20s up to 30 in the 80s. So like I yep. we're just at that sweet spot where you're able to get both of those eras like almost in their entirety. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just glad I started out at a young age right and, and at a time when like like uh, um 
if if I was 12 photographing, there were people that were 16 and 17 that started to photograph around the same around that same time uh, time period. So I, um, you know, just got a head start with my with my mother, and thank God that you know that she was a photographer, so she could teach me how to uh, take pictures of people. And, uh, you know, I always thank her to this day about being that helpful to me. And she always gets a kick out of uh, the stories I tell her about how I would leave the house and tell her I would be in the neighborhood at a friend's house. Well, I used to do that, too. That's why when you told me this, I related with that. I used to leave my neighborhood in Gerritsen Beach in Brooklyn take three buses and the D train into Manhattan to see a band <laughs> come home. And my parents never knew I left Gerritsen Beach. <laughs> uh, and, and I heard this, I heard that, you know, similar stories from other people. And I thought I was really the only one doing it until later on, hundreds of other people were doing the same thing. Because this was an era you could be out of your parents' sight as a young teenager for four or five hours and they didn't think anything of it. You know, now right. if, if you're out of your parents' sight for five minutes, they're, they're calling the police. <laughs> or, or they're trying to call you on your cell oh, phone. Call, exactly. Well, that was the other thing too. Nobody could track you down. So yeah. That's right. That's right. That was, the, that was one of the greatest things about the whole, whole time period. Just think if there were cell phones at, at that time, this could have never been done. Uh, I would have been nailed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't know if I would have became a photographer after that. <laughs> you would have got begged at that first Zeppelin show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Talk, talk about, um, I don't know if Alan, you want to take this or, or um, talk about some of the bands because in the book, you know, you have the big band, you talk about the Twisted Sisters, the Overkills, the Bon Jovis, the Skid Rose. Um, I mean, there's even, even in this book, even though it only goes up to 1986, you got a, a little mention of Trickster in there, you know? Um, right. But talk about some of those bands like, like the Monroes and the Prophets and the TT Quicks and the Xenons and the Dead End Kids and talk about some of the bands that you saw that maybe never got to that next level with a major label deal or anything, but some of the bands that left an impression on you. Yeah, so Dead End Kids, all that stuff really predates me, um, so I can't really comment. Uh, TT Quick for sure, you know, going to see them a bunch of times. They were massively huge locally. Never seemed to break out outside of the area, unfortunately. But great bands. And I mean, there were a lot of uh, really, like, important bands back then, but it was a very different scene, you know, like, there's no internet, there's no... You know, there's no world like you know us today, right? So we go see bands and bars. I was seeing Tertia doing the Judas Priest show in Bergenfield. And it's a magical experience, you know? Well, well, let's talk a little bit, uh, Frank, or if you want to jump in on this. Um, the, the, the Jersey uh, Metal book, is it's scheduled to be a three-volume book, right? Um, right. The first one just out yesterday officially. Um, where are you guys at with volume two? Uh, we started in 1987. And uh, the first story we talk about is uh, when uh, Slayer, Wasp, and Raven toured. And they played at the Capitol Theater. And uh, that tour, the uh, Tony from the drummer from Whiplash took over for Dave Lombardo briefly on that tour. And so uh, that would be the first uh, show that we feature in the book. And then we just go through the years, 87, 88, 89, all the way up to 2004. And then uh, after that, our next book would be 2005 to 2021. So it's going to roughly take, you know, between both books to come out, I would say three to four years, you know, and maybe even sooner 
depending on how you know quickly and efficiently we can get it done. So, um, where, what, again, where can you know you mentioned before? Where can everybody get the book now? Uh, Jerseybook.com. Yep, right. That's where you know you can get it from us directly, and uh, it also, I guess, will be selling on uh, at Barnes and Noble, uh, the, the book printer, Book Baby, and uh, of course Amazon, and then uh, you might find it on other uh, sites online. But uh, we'd like to have as many people as possible buy the book directly from us. So we could, you know, sign, you know, to whoever, or if they don't want any signatures, they can get the book uh, shipped from our, our home. Right. Yeah. Your best bet is jerseymetalbook.com because there you can request a signature and all that kind of stuff. You buy it through the printer or whoever else. And we also have uh, t-shirts. Right. We have t-shirts, stickers, like the whole nine website. Okay, great. And uh, hopefully we might be bringing out other merch in the uh, near future. Uh, I'll request a hoodie because I live in those things in the winter. (laughs) Hey, you know, maybe that could happen. Hey, I I already got the T-shirt, so. (laughs) Great, great. Yep. And you can wear that in any metal show. That's right. That's a great thing. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, well, guys, we we appreciate the talk tonight for sure. Um, You know, Alan driving up and down the uh, the turnpike, (laughs) hanging in there. We appreciate that. I'm on 295 right now. Oh, nice. I know that area. So uh, anyway, hey guys, best of luck with this book. Um, we'll you know pump it up on our uh, our socials and everything, and and hopefully uh, if everybody's listening out there, um, even if you're not from New Jersey and you didn't grow up in this scene, there is a ton in this book that will interest you, and it's just it's amazing because you you know you talk about the national band, you got the Twisted Sisters, and I, I can't wait till volume two because that's going to be my right. sweet spot where you I got grew some up. great rainbow. Yep. I saw Mark's book, some great rainbow pictures with Joel and Turner. Yeah. Yeah, and there's lots of maiden and priest in there. It's like a lot of really cool stuff. And uh, it's just going to get better as the uh, the years go on. In, oh, yeah, in the next books. volume, we're already anticipating that. So that's going to be killer. We've already uh, collected a whole bunch of photos and stories already. And, uh, yep, we're just going to get it situated out and uh, take our time. It's like putting together a giant uh, jigsaw puzzle, you know, and creating you know we're creating uh the stories you know we're interviewing uh bands you know getting their side getting their uh wild stories that they can give us and uh you know information that uh, a lot of people wouldn't know about them uh, and then um you know it should be another wild another wild ride excellent looking forward to it for sure thank you, yeah. thank thank you gentlemen thank you i appreciate so it much. yeah well, no appreciate the talk much. tonight Thanks, man. I appreciate it, too. All right, guys. Bye-bye, guys. Take Take care. care. Take care, guys.